Well, folks, hello and welcome to The Boundless Show. Lisa Anderson here with you. And as I often like to do on the show, I'm going to give you a little preview of what is coming up later on. For our inbox, we have a guy who's been dating long distance and he and his girlfriend, they do agree on a lot of things, but he's wondering how important is it to agree on political issues that aren't obviously explicitly addressed in the Bible. Well, one of our counselors will weigh in on that. And then for our culture segment, Glenn Lechens and Jenny Coffey from our focus counseling department here, uh, join us to share some advice on leaving an abusive relationship, not just leaving a relationship, but even looking out for one, recognizing one. And uh, really those of you in a difficult situation, what does that look like and what are their recommended steps? So great info there. All right, here we are for our roundtable, and we thought we would gather a few women this week to talk about, um, in fact, I'm not even totally sure how this came up. I feel so discombobulated, but I feel like producer John was in conversations with people and kind of the whole concept of safety uh, came up, not safety like take a self-defense class, but just (laughs) safety on a number of different levels, what it takes to make women feel safe. And that could be physically safe. It could be emotionally safe, um, you know, areas of of like feeling, you know, obviously in a in an era of um, prevalent abuse and and other uh, things like that. I think this is going to be a great conversation, and so I want to welcome Bailey, Margaret, and Sandra. Hey, ladies. Hi. Thank Hello. you. All right. Well, great to have you here, and thanks for being willing to talk about this topic because I think this is going to be helpful for folks. So, um, I want to start out actually by well, I kind of like introduced a little bit of like what safety is, but I actually want to get your opinions on it. So when you think of, you know, when you said, okay, I'm going to come down, I'm going to contribute to this. And we're talking about quote unquote safety. What does that mean to you? Like what kind of vibe do you immediately get? Where do you go in your head when you think of being safe on what levels? Where would you guys go with that? I would say like, if we're talking about like relational safety, like when you're getting to know a guy that you might like, um, I think it's just seeing like, is this someone who will take care of me? Is this, do I see any red flags here? And not just like, oh, will he like walk me to my car or like make me feel Mm -hmm. safe? Like if we go out, but also just like, is he going to protect my feelings? Is he going to guard my heart? Is he going to treat me well? Is he going to treat the people around me well? That's kind of what I think of when I think of safety in a relationship. Yeah. All the guys right now are scribbling in their notes apps like, oh, my goodness, that's a tall order. I thought we were just talking about, like, you know, not letting people beat her up. But, okay, what else? What about you, Sandra? Um, I think Bailey hit it pretty well on the head. Um, Is this someone that I'm going to feel emotionally comfortable with? Is this someone that I'll be able to open up to? Is this someone that when I'm walking down the street, like, are they going to be intentional about pointing out something on the sidewalk or, you know, just something small like that, that shows that they're being intentional and that they care about you. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's good. Margaret, anything to add? Yeah, I think Bailey and Sandra both um, covered it well. Just my mind also first goes to relationships um, with a guy and am I going to feel safe around him physically, but also emotionally? And to me, safety can mean Yes, again, like physical and emotional safety, but also just, is this a guy that I'm comfortable around and even want to be around? Mm -hmm. Um, Because if you are, you know, talking with a guy or it's a guy you're dating, obviously you're going to want to be comfortable around them and you're going to want to enjoy being around them. Yeah. Okay, so let's give uh, some examples. Obviously, we're going to want to land this on something helpful for the guys out there. (laughs) Maybe all the women, you know, are like rallying around like, hey. Um, But let's start out with some of the missteps in this area. So where do you feel like guys kind of drop the ball in this area specifically? Like, what would you point out as like, yeah, that was not good. That was a miss. Or this is something that specifically, if I could have the ear of a guy would tell him, pay more attention to this. What would that look like for you? Yeah, I would say um, when it comes, like when you first are liking a girl, like when a guy's first liking a girl, um, sometimes we get scared if it comes across like too intense. Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. if you're texting all the time and if we don't have time to respond, like if you keep texting or if you send like 
super, super long messages on social media before we've established, like, that we like each other and that we're going to go out. Um, or if it just, like, they seem desperate, like, you see them, like, just staring at you across the room. <laughs> or, you know, yeah. really happens to me every day. So, I mean, honestly, those guys that are staring at me 24-7, I mean, it's like, no, okay, I hear you. Yeah, That's so good. I would say, you know, just, like, be mindful of, like, you can be intentional, but don't, like, try not to come across as creepy or too intense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good. And with that, like, a brashness, I think that's a huge thing that um, guys don't realize that they're being brash. But when they're trying to be so, like, show-offy and it's clear that they're trying to impress you, but, like, they're trying way too hard. Mm -hmm. And, like, when they're rude to people around you, um, I think also, like, not making eye contact. Like being careful with your eye contact if they don't make a lot of eye contact or if they make too much eye contact Mm -hmm. that can be awkward (laughs) because you're like either you're trying to hide something or you're trying to like pull out the deepest secrets of my soul and it's date one so yeah so obviously like because you know again it's like okay optimal eye contact but that is like when you're talking to her look at her and address her but then to Bailey's point, <laughs> don't just be looking at her like covertly, like all the time, like watching yeah. her every move. Mm-hmm. Then yeah. we can get kind of weird. Okay. Yeah. Anything else to add? I think, I mean, they both hit it fairly well, but also like in a physical sense, not just crowding into that like personal space. And mm-hmm. that goes for any person, any type mm-hmm. of relationship, like not, um, I know I don't feel comfortable if. I feel like I am being stared at or like if a guy's kind of like domineering over me, I guess. Um, Even but, like standing right behind you. Is yeah. Like, yeah. Like, that's mm-hmm. a little too much. Yeah. But also kind of like both of them said, just arrogance and just a sense of pride is not going to make me, you know, feel super safe or comfortable. Yeah. Around the guy. I feel like for me too, like words are a good thing in the sense of like the guy who one doesn't need a ton of words to, you know, doesn't over talk or over communicate. But the idea of like stepping in and speaking up on my behalf, like not just taking over, like she can't say what she can say, you know, so I need to do it for her. But kind of that idea of just having that protective nature of like, especially if there's like teasing or stuff that's inappropriate or whatever Mm -hmm. and a guy just being like hey you know let's not go there or that's you know or changing the subject like very deftly I notice that when a guy does that and I think that's Mm -hmm. a great thing of just that sense of like even not even a guy I'm into just even a brother in Christ you know Mm -hmm. who can kind of be that person of like yeah you know that's even the ones that say you know this sounds old-fashioned but the ones that say hey there are ladies present you know or something like that I feel like a lot of women think that's a good thing when it's just like yeah let's call it and let's yeah. say you know that it has to be let's do that differently that and makes stuff. my respect for the guy go way up yeah yeah because you might not even be the person that they are standing up for mm-hmm. but if you're in that area and you see them you do have that respect and even just being in their proximity you're like whoa mm-hmm. I do feel safe here mm-hmm. yeah and that communicates that they care and respect the women around them enough even if it's not girls that they're interested in yeah yeah Yeah. I was just gonna say that too like I feel like the respect a meter goes way up when it's done on behalf of like the elderly Mm -hmm. or children or you know it's some you know they're not into them but they're just doing it because they're doing it and because they're quality and they're classy and stuff that's good there's no ulterior motive least of these you do to me yeah Hey, that's in the Bible. It is. Okay. <laughs> Good one. Um, no, that's that's really great. Okay, so what, as you get to know a guy, then how do you start looking for these types of things? Or how do you feel like there's a timeline? Like, do you give a guy a certain amount of time? Does he have three strikes and you're out? Like, what, what really is going to help a guy understand? Like, because again, we can't have guys just like manufacturing situations where they can be like, <laughs> you know, put on the cape or something like that. But what does it just look like in everyday life? And how kind of would you go about discerning that? So I don't think that there is like a set timeline. I think women have great intuition. 
And in the first, you know, few minutes of talking to somebody, you can kind of get a feel of, do I feel safe with this person or not? And then as time goes on, you can see like, as they get more comfortable with you, as they open up more, you can really, really see, you know, they do care and they do want to make me feel safe. I think of it as like a safety bank account. Mm -hmm. So um, a guy can spend so much time like depositing into the safety bank account. And that's by, you know, opening the car door, talking about your feelings, you know, just all those different things that we want someone to do to make us feel safe. And we all know that we're sinful, fallen humans, and nobody's ever going to make you feel safe all the time. So when you've deposited enough or so much into that safety bank account, you can make a withdrawal and it's okay. Like you can mess up. You can even just taking that withdrawal doesn't put you into a deficit. You know that there's enough grace and mercy and all of that that makes it okay. Mm -hmm. Like I know with my husband, there was one time that he said something mean to me and I was like, what? <laughs> what did you just say? Mm -hmm. um, but after a few minutes, I was like, that's not who you are. And he felt so bad, like you could tell he was almost in tears. And I was just like, that's not who you are. You've proven to me over and over again that I can be safe with you, that my feelings are safe with you. So even though you said that, I know that's not who you are. Mm -hmm. That almost makes me think, too, of another great quality that immediately communicates safety, and that is the ability. I mean, this is, again, we're saying of anyone, but we're talking specifically here about guys in relation to women feeling safe. But that guy can that can immediately admit wrong and repent. Mm -hmm. I mean, saying you're sorry, saying you messed up, saying and. I want to get into like some real life examples here because sometimes it can be, you know, a guy may not know the woman he's dealing with. She may have a super rough past relationally. I mean, there may be abuse in her past, you know, and I would love for you guys to think um, of good, you know, you just uh, talked about your hubster, Sandra, um, as a great example in that sense, but good examples and bad of where like the rubber hits the road of like this way. I mean, some of that could linger on. It it either puts stuff in the bank for a person or all of a sudden it's like, I never want to see this person again. Mm -hmm. um, not that I'm saying I'm a man, you guys, I'm not. But I want to <laughs> give just like a personal example with a friend that happened the other night that I was like, oh, my word, if this was like a guy, this would have been a big this would have been a big train wreck. But I was talking to her. She was actually sharing with me. This is so bad. This is true confessions, you guys. She was sharing with me a learning that she had in counseling. She was, she's doing some counseling, um, totally legit. She's such a great, and she's learning so much. And she said something and I kind of went, Hmm. And I'm not even kidding you. I went rummaged around, uh, got a nail file and just started like filing my nails. And then I, I, I like walked up to go get it. And then it was just like, I totally just blew her off. And like I could see tear all of a sudden there's like tears in her eyes and it was immediately like that was the most dismissive like rude thing for me it was like again now in my heart it was like hmm thinking about that processing it I go get my nail file because I'm like I'm gonna file I'm gonna talk this through with you but I'm gonna multitask and just file my nails and that's gonna help me like think of where I want to go with this but it was so rude I mean it just came off as so rude and we had and immediately I had to be like that was so wrong of me. That was ridiculous. I didn't even look at you as you said that. I put the nail thing down and I was like, please tell me about this. And it just helped turn that around. And so I want, you know, still just so embarrassing and like horrible that it happened in the first place. But I mean, I think that the, you know, that repentance, that recognizing like that was a miss, you know, being able to turn that around is a, is a good thing. Um, but let's talk about real life examples. Let's put some legs on it about things specifically where you felt safe or you didn't feel safe and how did it play out? 
Um, I feel like when someone genuinely wants to know, like, about how I'm doing, like, they ask, like, so how is your day? And asking about, like, my job and, like, asking questions and follow-up questions, that, like, makes me feel, like, known and that they want to get to know me more and it makes me feel safe because it's, like, I don't know, there's something about being known and, like, being known by somebody. Um, So seeing genuine kindness, genuine wanting to get to know you, just that intentionality is something that really makes me feel safe. And I don't know, I can't think of mm. a different, like a bad example, I'm but that's say, like, like what you're saying with that makes me think of, because I feel like guys do this a lot. And you know, so guys, I'm talking to you, what she's saying there, the asking the follow-up questions is such a big deal because I see, and again, everyone does this, but I see guys do this a lot. They'll take the one statement and then they'll be, they'll turn it on them and be like, well, let me tell you about my day (laughs) or worse. Like when it's jokingly, all of a sudden they try to one up you because they Mm. so want to go for the laugh and they love it when women laugh at their stuff. And so then it's like, oh my word. And they deflect and get kind of like a little bit flippant about it, which will immediately send a woman into a tailspin if she's trying to be (laughs) like honest and, and really, you know, real with where she is. So that's Mm -hmm. a good point. Yeah. I mean, a really simple, like, practical thing is I never knew that I wanted this until my husband was doing that for three months. But walking on the street side of the sidewalk, Mm. I was like, I can do that. That's not a big deal. But when you kind of break it down, it's, you know, them showing you that they can protect you, that they'll be, you know, that protector. Mm -hmm. They'll be willing to be in harm's way Mm -hmm. to protect you. Yeah, an example, um, I can kind of think of one of each. You mentioned earlier, Lisa, about guys who are able to kind of admit their failings or their shortfallings, um, shortcomings, that's the word. But I, I've been around a guy once who was able to do that, and I know that that immediately felt, made, me, made me feel um, really safe. And, like, I knew that this was a guy who I could trust and feel safe around. And I, I'd once heard a pastor say, um, that you'll know a lot about a guy based off what he gets angry about. And his example mm-hmm. was like, does he get angry about a football game and like losing it? Or does he get angry mm-hmm. about his sin? And so seeing a guy who's able to admit and repent of their sin um, and kind of confess their shortcomings, wrongdoings, whatever, that is really, really attractive and makes me feel safe around him. And kind of on the flip side, like, uh, she was saying earlier, like the, when you're around a guy who kind of passively listens versus actively listening. Mm -hmm. And I know I've been around a guy who kind of turned everything that I said into something about himself. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that was like, okay, I don't even want to really be around you if this isn't like a engaging conversation, like between the two of us. Mm -hmm. Um, and also like Sandra was saying physically, like I know that my entire life I've seen my dad always walk on the street side of a sidewalk um, next to my mom or one of us. And that when I was younger, I didn't really think much of it. But now, I mean, as I grew up, I was able to see like, that's just one teeny little way that he shows his willingness to protect. And like you said, be in harm's way on behalf of us. Yeah. Even doing, um, you know, back in the day, there was the book, Do Hard Things. And even that concept of like guys who are willing to do the harder thing and be the one Mm -hmm. who's going to like make a sacrifice of something. And and sometimes it's just doing something like going to that party or being the first person to RSVP to something because they're like, I'm just going to do it and be the person Mm -hmm. who kind of leads in that area and not wait to see if like all the cool kids are going, you know, I mean, hello, (laughs) this is in seventh grade, y'all. Okay. So, um, yeah, just being that person who steps up and is like, yeah, I'm going to have a presence here or I'm going to do that or I'm going to volunteer. I'm going to be the first person at church to start moving tables and start moving chairs so that the older dudes and women don't have to do it and stuff. And I think there's just little things you know it's not like um you know we're recording this in the throes of um 
or the wake of uh, Top Gun Maverick. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Bailey's pulse just quickened. It's like her, her latest new favorite I film saw it and last stuff. Night. It was so, so good. good. Yeah, I mean, it's just such a. But there's a reason why it's good and why people connect with that film and stuff. And it's just kind of like that. We've got a mission. Like, let's go on mission and do what needs to be done. And you don't have to be flying a fighter jet in order to do missions that God is calling you to do. I mean, I think there are many many ways of doing that and like totally I've seen you know I've seen accountant dudes like totally be awesome because they just they just stand up for what's right and they're just doing what's right and not taking the easy route and stuff like that so um that's where I want to say it's not some stereotype of the typical guy in that sense so well ladies thank you so much for for weighing in on this and uh, being part of the conversation I think Mm -hmm. it's really great and I think um you know, another thing I want to encourage you guys as we close out here is just, um, I mean, again, it sounds so simple, but get into God's word because a guy who knows and applies mm-hmm. God's word mm-hmm. and loves God and loves others is just that. I mean, you're going to hello, like uh, be like Jesus and you're going to make people <laughs> feel safe. OK, Cause, Amen. <laughs> so that's a great place to be. But you can't be someone's Jesus. There's a difference. OK, right. so. Um, but you can definitely be a disciple of Christ and that, uh, that really is going to strengthen you in the long run. So thanks ladies. Thank you. Not just a thing up in the sky, a sweet by and by. No, no, not just a set of pearly gaze of angels with wings. No, it's more heaven. folks well we are here for our culture segment and i am so privileged to have not one but two of our counselors in the studio (laughs) this time you guys usually just hear one at a time because they're often here answering an inbox question for us but today we're going to actually talk about a pretty weighty topic and so we wanted to uh, really gather some expertise around this and we're going to talk about really abusive relationships and how you know i feel like a lot of people bandy that term about like you know oh well that was abusive or this was abusive or he was abusive and we're going to talk about what does it actually mean to be in to recognize to leave an abusive relationship how do you classify this how do you even recognize abusive tendencies or can you even before you get too embroiled in a relationship so um, I'm very privileged to have both Jenny Coffey and Glenn Lechens here so welcome you two thank you good to be with you awesome so um, well you know we kind of I mean Clearly, not only through our counseling department here at Focus, but Focus on the Family in general talks a lot about marriage, parenting, relationships, and really moving people in Christ towards wholeness in a lot of areas of life. Mm-hmm. And I think it is, you know, it, it's weird um, because we, anyone who's been following the news, it seems like this has really been in the forefront, especially right. within the Christian community because of. Um, abuses that have been brought to light uh, in the church, um, specifically the the Southern Baptist uh, list or whatever that was put out. And I know we've even gotten questions at Boundless about like, how could this happen? What does this mean? Who are these people? Why are they allowed to be abusers? And so we kind of want to take it down to a granular level for the person who's just like, you know, maybe one of two things. I don't want to date anyone because I don't even want there to be a chance of me mm-hmm. to ever get into this kind of situation. Or the person who conversely is going to say, well, don't worry, that would never happen to me. I'm sure I would see this. I'm sure I would recognize this or I only date healthy people or whatever. So so let's go ahead and start with getting granular here. I, I want to know, first of all, can you truly know if you are in an abusive relationship? Like what is it? I mean, there aren't many people that are sitting around going, 
the one thing I need to do today is evaluate my relationship and see if there's any abuse evidenced in it. I mean, no one gets into relationships thinking they're going to have some real trouble and stuff. So how do you discern abuse in a relationship specifically because what's the difference between a true abuser and someone who is just a jerk or is just a a bad Mm -hmm. personality Mm -hmm. or someone who's a hurtful person or a wounded person? Mm -hmm. Well, a lot of times a wounded person is going to be a hurtful person. Mm -hmm. You know, a dictionary definition, not a psychological definition of of abuse is to use so as to injure or damage. Mm. And um, when a person, really what you're looking for is a pattern in which a person focuses in on their own needs uh, to the abuse of someone else's Mm -hmm. availability. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it can be in a lot of subtle ways. Typically, people think of abuse as, well, you know, he or she hasn't hit me yet, Mm -hmm. so it's not abuse. Well, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of more subtle forms of abuse. Even we might use the word overt abuse, Mm -hmm. which is going to be more readily visible and discernible or covert abuse because covert abuse can be uh, a person who plays the victim role yeah and you know it doesn't really look like abuse but it's taking advantage and misusing someone manipulating someone for a person's own gain Mm -hmm. and i would think that that covert abuse is going to be a lot more seedy it's going to be a lot more under the surface Mm -hmm. and i would say for the most part abuse is going to be in more of that covert way it's not going to be an abuser doesn't want to be found out they want to be able to continue on the way that they're doing because abuse in and of itself is manipulative behavior obviously Mm -hmm. there's a spectrum to that but they want to be able to continue on controlling and manipulating the situation Mm -hmm. so they're not going to go up to use an extreme example to their girlfriend at a family dinner and punch her in the face like that's never going to happen Mm -hmm. and probably they're going to watch the way they speak to their partner also in front of people. And and to Glenn's point, I think what people are often looking for is physical abuse, which is very obvious. Mm -hmm. Have they put their hands on you? Has it been abusive? That's obvious. I think the gray line for a lot of people is the spiritual, emotional, mental, verbal abuse Mm -hmm. and where those lines are drawn. And to me, very broadly, what we're looking for is extreme manipulation to the point where there's guilting, like guilt tripping behavior, um, Gaslighting, which gaslighting basically means getting you all worked up so that you get elevated while they stay very calm and make Mm. you feel like the crazy person. Mm -hmm. Uh, Those kind of stereotypical things uh, to look out for, at least first. Yeah. It seems like um, I I heard both of you kind of say this. There seems to be an element of a um, a pattern of power and control. Mm -hmm. So it's not just like he didn't open the door for me or he was just kind of snapped back at me when, you know, rudely or something Mm -hmm. like that. But there's very much an underlying motive or a pattern of things that they're trying to get out of this Mm -hmm. that would be considered. And sometimes the motivation, the person themselves who's doing it may, may or may not be fully aware of. I think there's a lot of manipulation that's done that kind of goes beneath that person's awareness. Mm -hmm. But the fact that that manipulation is taking place is a significant concern. Yeah. One of the things, especially if you're talking about in a dating relationship or just getting to know someone, what can be difficult is, okay, let's say a person reacts one time. Mm-hmm. Now, could it be a one time, you know, a person was stressed and frustrated and so it kind of, you know, maybe they responded in a way, maybe they were guilt tripping or maybe they were uh, made some kind of momentary threat, but it's not really who the person is. Mm-hmm. Or <laughs> it's the part of the person that came out, yeah. as Jenny mentioned, you know, a lot of times a person is not going to reveal that part. So when you're getting to know someone or even when you're dating someone, you're not going to try to, you know, overload them with that. That's really stuff that is more likely to come out once people are married. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've talked many times to people who said the day we married, there was a change yeah. mm-hmm. and they noticed it. And that's when, okay, now I got gotcha. you. Mm-hmm. You have to stay here is their mindset. Well, which is a great example of why, you know, when people say when you're seeing signs in dating, don't assume that, oh, if we get married, yeah, this is going to improve or don't worry, you know, then they'll be committed to me. Then they'll love me even mm-hmm. more. Then it's going to be totally different. Is there any way, like, what are some, you know, for the the person who might be dating or considering dating a person, 
how are there ways that a person might relate to other people or you might see and pick up patterns without getting fully invested in a relationship on the front end before noticing dangerous stuff? I would say truly in abusive relationships, what we hear almost every time is that people ignored warnings from friends and family. Mm -hmm. So that is a huge I would even say red flag, not even yellow flag. That is mm -hmm. a huge red flag. If you have people very close to you that you trust, mm. parents, close friends, other family members that are telling you, no, just something seems off or they're noticing a shift. That's more than just maybe, I don't know if there's such thing as like a dating leave and cleave, but like a movement towards a more serious relationship and trying to create individuality. And it's having to do with cutting you off from people that are important to you or mm initiating that power and control like you said earlier really the purpose of that for the abuser is there is an intense anxiety around the loss of power mm. and so it has to be exerted in whatever context possible because they have this internal fear of losing that and mm -hmm. so listening to the people around you because sometimes you might be too entrenched mm -hmm. to notice it yourself mm -hmm. and then look for those patterns yourself mm -hmm. also yeah, that's good. I remember someone uh, telling me, you know, she was she was dating and uh, kind of saw that that idea of like he was constantly saying, well, you know, your family just doesn't really understand me mm -hmm. or they don't know me or they don't. But there was kind of this pulling away. Let's not hang out with your family. Yeah. Let's not hang out with Isolation. your friends. Let's isolate. Let's, you know, whatever. So, I mean, not that he said let's isolate, but <laughs> sneakier than that. But, um, right. okay. So another thing that I want you guys to kind of define or more specifically give an example of is, I mean, everyone here is going to know, like when we talk about physical abuse, we know what it's like to physically assault someone or hurt someone. But can you give an example of both emotional and spiritual abuse what would mm -hmm. be an example of each of those you guys can maybe tag team that mm -hmm. pick one um spiritual abuse i think can be very interesting because amongst different denominations you can have very different perspectives mm -hmm. but on the whole i would define spiritual abuse as using scripture against you mm. um we get a lot of calls, Glenn and I and the rest of the department on the phone line about people using the wives submit to your husband verse to basically mm. say, if you don't follow everything I do, you know, you're not submitting. Mm -hmm. So it's the use of scripture basically to get you to a place where you almost don't believe scripture to be true, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. So it's like using scripture to get you to believe things about yourself that mm -hmm. God hasn't put over you mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. that you're completely lovable no matter what that you have inherent worth and value as a human mm -hmm. you know those types of things as a married couple or even a couple you would want somebody who is using scripture to build you up mm -hmm. and to also show you some of those sharp edges that it's like hey watch that mm -hmm. that's something you could work on 100 percent. we want there to be influence upon each other in healthy relationships right but a spiritual abuser is going to use scripture or god against you in a way to tear you down right and that's... so it's not like uh she's telling me that i shouldn't be sleeping around that's no abuse. oh my word no that's <laughs> like, biblical yeah, yeah. but using yeah. scripture to basically quote keep you in your place right yeah. um okay. and tear you down yeah. and it's going to be selective okay it's what oh, yeah. i need to tell you mm -hmm. not what i need to know yeah, but it's it's you who needs to to learn this. So yeah. uh, it's going to be very selective in that regard. Emotional abuse uh, it can be kind of that that victim of you know if you leave me, I'll probably kill myself. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. and now what's happening emotionally? They're tying that person into you know being there for them. The person is afraid. I don't certainly don't want you to hurt yourself, and I can help you you know, God can use me. I mean, things like that, but they, they're just all twisted up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. Um, okay. What, I mean, what does it look like when you're in a relationship and you're maybe noticing some of these signs? I mean, you don't, you know, there are so many people who will say, you know, they want to be cautious because again, they don't want to throw labels around mm -hmm. that aren't accurate mm -hmm. or whatever, nor do they say like a lot of people are, you know, I've, I've definitely heard, um, some women say this of like, well, 
you know, what if this guy is like my last chance? I mean, what if this is the only guy going to ask me out? Maybe I need to give him another chance. Maybe I need to, maybe I'm just reading it wrong. What are some of those early steps that someone can maybe get some other ears, eyes on the situation? What are some, I mean, without showing their hand and being like, can you maybe tell me if you're an abuser? Because I I need to know. (laughs) So, So what does it look like? How do they do their own recon? And what would be their next steps related to that? Well, Jenny mentioned as far as other people, and that's where I think it's more important how the person responds to other people than how they respond to you Mm -hmm. because they can probably do a pretty good job of manipulating and making you feel like you're the center of the universe at least for a period of time yeah um eventually that that all falls apart but how the person relates with other people do they have an avenue for ministry I mean, is that something that's important to them or are they pretty much just about themselves mm-hmm. and they want your life to, to make them or to uh, sustain them? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I would say too, one of the things kind of as a, not so much a caveat, but a rabbit trail to what you said is I do think it's important to take a step back and take personal responsibility for whatever you have to own. So if you have a pattern of relationships where it's like you give up at the first sign of trouble or anything like that, I think it's important to look at that. Sure. And then you take that step back and say, you know what, from all angles, I've looked at this and it still seems a little fishy mm-hmm. and there's something going on. So looking at my, my hope would be if there's a close relationship with the in-laws or prospective in-laws, there could be some perspective from them on, hey, you know, here's some things I'm noticing. Am I am I seeing this right? Mm-hmm. That would obviously need to be in a relationship where it feels safe to do that if mm-hmm. there's a good relationship there. Mm-hmm. Um, but that can give you some good insight, too, if this behavior has kind of either been normalized by them unhealthily mm-hmm. or if there's something else potentially going on that's a personality quirk. Because mm-hmm. that's really the difference. Are we talking about abuse or are we talking about a personality quirk that needs to be worked on? Mm-hmm. Um, and getting some more... Yeah, recon, as you say. I mean, really, to me, that's the first step is just kind of the recon and mm-hmm. figuring out, getting a lot of different details and data from different places. Yeah. And a key ingredient is going to be, is that person willing to take ownership? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you approach them about a concern and they turn it back on you, well, if you hadn't done this, then I wouldn't, you know, that mm-hmm. that's not going to go anywhere. And that's probably giving you a fairly good idea that, mm-hmm. yeah, there is a certain level of abuse there. But if a person's really acknowledging and saying, yeah, I, I, you're absolutely right. I can understand what you're feeling. Here's what I'm going to do. You know, if there's steps of growth that they're going to take, mm-hmm. I mean, that gives you a better idea. Now, a person can certainly be sorrowful and tearful and all kinds of things kind of at the outset, but it doesn't lead to anything. Mm-hmm. It just it just kind of perpetuates. But if the person is really willing to take steps and you see that, that's a pretty good idea that this is not an abusive person per se, but mm-hmm. just maybe something that they're struggling with. Yeah. But you want to make sure, I, I, you mentioned before how people often think that in marriage it's going to get better. Yeah. I often say, Marriage will increase whatever challenges you have by at least 20% Hmm. because you don't have anywhere to go. I mean, when you go home, Mm -hmm. you're going home to one another before, you know, you went back to your apartment or house or whatever. Mm -hmm. But when you're married now, this is your spouse. So you're in a difficult position. And so things typically will intensify. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mentioned kind of at the beginning of the segment, just how, you know, in the news and in the church culture, we've seen such a rise in all of a sudden exposing um, abuse within the church and maybe cover-ups that have gone on in relation to that. Why, for the person listening, like, why would they have, let's talk about this a little bit in the sense of, like, why would they have any confidence in even going, like, to a what they would assume would be a trusted mentor, a pastor, a, I mean, is what is the place for that in the church? And why do you think from a counseling perspective, so many people are reticent, whether innocently or, you know, not innocently to try to brush this under the rug? Why is it becoming such a thing where people are like, oh no, let's not really talk about it. Let's not, well, and I mean, not that that hasn't been historically the case, but why why are people not talking about it or wanting to acknowledge stuff? And then two, what kind of confidence, why should any young adult saying, well, I want to get some help from the church, even bother going to the church? Are you maybe specifically talking about like sexual abuse? I would say any kind of abuse that's going to happen in a relationship or the fear of it. But yes, feel free to address that. Okay. Well. To me, 
obviously as a Christian, my heart's always grieved when I hear about that kind of stuff. But I'm never fully surprised when I hear about sexual abuse scandals or affair scandals with Christians because mm-hmm. I always look at it as the enemy's going to try to find the thing that's going to tear somebody down the quickest. Mm-hmm. And the one thing that nobody agrees on, Christian or non-Christian, is things involving sexuality as far as hurting other people, cheating on your spouse, um, sexual abuse. Nobody is going to be okay with that. Mm-hmm. So it's the one thing that both Christians and non-Christians are going to look upon and say, that wasn't okay. Mm-hmm. And so it makes sense for the enemy to take that and use that. Now, that doesn't mean that people aren't accountable or responsible for their choices, mm-hmm. but it's just never a surprise to me. Mm-hmm. So I guess I look at it as trying to view it through the lens of Jesus in people and trusting the Holy Spirit in people and also trusting or knowing that people can make bad decisions at the same time. And so not necessarily going to like a pastor that you've never spoken to before, but I'm I'm always going to bring it back to like, who's somebody you've known for 10 years? Who's like the woman who's led Sunday school and you know her and trust her and she was your youth leader and you know that she's at least going to give an unbiased, objective opinion from scripture. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't just automatically necessarily give trust to a person that you have no clout with. Mm-hmm. I think it's important to build that regardless of a title, mm-hmm. pastor, therapist, anything. Like mm-hmm. there needs to be a little bit of buy-in from both sides, but also some time mm-hmm. just in any relationship like that for someone who's going to speak into your life because it's a pretty big deal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a tendency to minimize. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it might even be where a part of the motivation coming from from ministry is – well, we all are fallen. We all need grace. Mm-hmm. So forgive. Mm-hmm. Let's move on. Mm-hmm. And I'm just reminded of Jesus' words in Matthew 10. Be innocent as doves. Be wise as serpents. Mm-hmm. And normally we don't put those two animals in the same cage. And yet we're told that we're supposed to be both of them. Mm-hmm. You know, there needs to be, as, as Jenny was mentioning, when you see somebody who's been a leader, do they have that ability to to be innocent as a dove and mm-hmm. why you see wisdom in their life. You see that ability to discern and call things out when they need to be called out. Mm-hmm. I mean, in a lot of ways, it's a lot easier just to poo poo things or minimize them. Mm-hmm. But when you challenge them and it's done in a, in a healthy way, that's really what needs to happen. Sometimes to just minimize mistakes and, and ignore them or just gloss over them even though it may seem gracious, mm-hmm. um, it really just perpetuates a lot of wounding mm-hmm. and a lot of problems. Yeah. Um, what would be your advice to the person? Because I feel like this comes up very often at Boundless, and this is kind of turning a corner back to the individual situation, um, who is suspecting some kind of abusive pattern in a friend's relationship, and but then they're kind of like, Oh, should I speak up? You know, I always have to be the heavy. I don't even know if I'm right. I don't even know, you know, whatever. What's an appropriate, kind, loving way to maybe broach the subject with a friend? That one is so tough because it seems like a lose-lose in a lot of situations. Mm -hmm. And I think you would have to go into it with the mindset first of what am I hoping to get out of this? Mm -hmm. I think it's important with any of those conversations to go in with just a realistic mindset of what's best case scenario What's worst case scenario and what do I hope to get out of it? Mm -hmm. Because then you can kind of set yourself up to say, you know, she or he might be super mad Mm -hmm. and they're not going to talk to me for a while, but I'll at least know Mm -hmm. that I said something. Mm -hmm. And if you're cool with that, great. Mm -hmm. So you kind of have to weigh out the pros and cons for yourself. Mm -hmm. I I know that sounds bad for the person that maybe says, you know, it's not worth the friendship to me. It's like, I guess that's your prerogative Mm -hmm. to be able to do that. But going into it saying this might not necessarily instigate change the way I'm hoping, mm-hmm. I think can at least set up realistic expectations. Yeah. But also bringing up, I would say I would keep it kind of short and sweet. It doesn't need to be like, let's meet for two hour coffee and completely yeah. overwhelm the person like yeah. an intervention. But just start throwing out little things randomly like, hey, I feel like we haven't been hanging out as much lately and I miss I miss you. Is there a time that we could go on a hike this weekend? Mm-hmm. You know, seeing if there's going to be continual things where they either pull out Mm-hmm. last minute or oh no I can't come or just kind of belaboring the point or delaying the yeah. issue um, and kind of dropping those hints not passive aggressively mm-hmm. but kind of just once again going back to what we said earlier kind of gathering that data and saying okay is this something that's really concerning and then that might change your opinion in the future to say okay this really is now time for me to say something regardless of what the outcome is yeah 
And you can you can affirm what the person's excited about in the relationship. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just hearing their heart and and being able to affirm that. But mm-hmm. you can also ask them, are they open to your feedback? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you can say, you know, uh, just some, some inklings here. Mm-hmm. I haven't obviously spent as much time with him or her as you have. But if you're open to hearing them, I care about you. Mm-hmm. I would much rather have someone open up and be honest. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've, I've done that in my own extended family. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think you have to live with yourself. Yeah. And even though another person may not be happy, if you're approaching it where you're making sure you're looking to yourself so you're not going in as, okay, I got this all together or whatever, mm-hmm. but I care about you. I love you. Mm-hmm. And if there's something that I'm seeing that maybe you can't see right now because you're excited about this, mm-hmm. um, if I can bring it to your attention at least at that point, you've got to decide what you're going to do with it. It's not my responsibility what you do with it. Yeah. But I think it could be my responsibility to be honest with you about what I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's about being consistent and steady sometimes, I think. Yeah. Just that realization of if they are inside of abuse, they're not going to be healthy and they're not feeling great. Mm-hmm. And so you're kind of biding your time sometimes mm-hmm. if they're super angry about it mm-hmm. and just continuously being loving and consistent. Mm-hmm. And then... If and when things fall apart, hopefully when, if it truly is abusive, they're going to know who to come back to because Mm -hmm. it's not that you better change or we can't be friends anymore. You might have to create those boundaries if things are toxic and you can't be as close as you once were, but they're going to remember like who stuck around when things got hard. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's truly the sign of a good friend is Mm -hmm. creating boundaries yet being there when they need it. Yeah. For sure. Well, such good thoughts, you guys. Thanks so much for for weighing in on that and for um, providing so many practical examples of kind of what we can go after and how we can can look at it objectively. And of course, you know, just um, taking matters in prayer as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, being open to feedback, but also being open to explore and be like, okay, am I reading this wrong? You know, Lord, please give me um, vision to see what I need to be seeing. He says he'll give wisdom. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. Well, um, folks, we want to remind you, as we often do on the show when we talk about heavy topics like this, that um, both Jenny and Glenn and their entire team are available here to help folks with initial consultations. If you feel like, oh my word, I am dating this guy or I'm dating this girl and I'm starting to like some things here are kind of um, maybe triggered a few things in my relationship that I'm in or things that I need to think through. Um, if you go to, you can either call us 1-800-THE-LETTER-A in the word family. That's 1-800-A-FAMILY. Or you can go to focusonthefamily.com slash get help. And you can set up a free consultation there. Um, someone will get in touch with you and be able to talk you through this and maybe even refer you to a counselor in your area where you can get more specific help. Um, and then, of course, there are a slew of resources as well um, that we have kind of as supplemental backup info and just great things to to peruse as well. So um, make sure that you check that out. You can go to boundless.org, just search for 754, and you will see all that information there if you didn't get it uh, down right there. Well, Jenny and Glenn, thank you so much for being here today. I appreciate thank it. Thank you. When I was a kid, I was sure I could run across the ocean. That I was going to be an astronaut. But it was you and it was me. I had everything I needed. And faith could even move a mountaintop. And then I grew up. And then I got older. And my life got tough. And we grew apart. Well, as we finish out the show, we are opening up our inbox, and we have got Counselor Jeremy Keaton here. Hey, Jeremy. Nice to be with you always, Lisa. Always. Thanks. Always. Great to have you personally and your expertise. So um, we've got a very 
great one today, um, which is certainly timely in light of our culture. And so I'm just going to read it. Um, you've got both a relational and a social uh, component here. So mm-hmm. our listener says, I met a girl online five months ago, and we've been dating long distance for three months now. We visited each other in our hometowns once, have stable jobs, and agree on a lot of the essentials of our faith. My question is, how much agreement should there be in a serious relationship when it comes to political and social issues, such as social justice, gun control, the environment, and the government's role in our lives? Can we disagree on some things and still have a healthy relationship? Yeah, two, <laughs> definitely two parts there. I won't spend much time on the first part, but you alluded to it, the online dating piece, and you guys talk about that a lot here yeah. on Boundless, but just really being sure you're if you're becoming serious uh, and working towards potential engagement or marriage that you're spending a lot of face-to-face time together over time, finding those opportunities and inviting community into your relationship. So you can really look at that from all angles with various eyes and mentors and friends on that. But on the part about political and social issues, uh, yes, you can have a healthy relationship, but it really gets to what kind of relationship, where is this going, how have you defined the direction of your relationship? Because if you are looking to really become lifelong partners and friends, there's going to be some really, I think, important things to pause on there and not just say, oh, we can agree to disagree on everything. I don't think it's that simple. I think it has a lot to do with where you are perhaps having different perspectives, you want to look at the underpinnings of the position. Where is it coming from uh, in a worldview sense or in a the way that you apply Scripture? Are you compatible with how the Bible informs your life and its application to the world? It's not so much the issue itself. There may be a tactical difference on a policy about um, gun control, or a, or there might be you know, uh, an important discussion you could have about the stewardship of the environment from a biblical perspective versus some of the policy issues that overlap with the environment. I'm not talking about tactical differences. I'm really talking about going to the root of where do these views come from and why, and really having thorough discussions that have to do with, in a sense, your worldview and how Scripture comes to bear on um, your civic engagement, that's where you really want to be compatible, um, and you want to probably minimize huge differences, because it could indicate that, am I getting unequally yoked, as the phrase goes, or if not unequally yoked, maybe you both believe in the Lordship of Jesus, but are you getting uncomfortably yoked if you're moving towards marriage? So I think this is something to again, come back and say, yes, you can have a healthy relationship. We can all, and we should all, have healthy relationships with people we disagree with. But if you're going to a more serious level with a lifelong partner, I think that you need to evaluate pretty carefully and have some discussions, even some premarital counseling, pre-engagement counseling, if you're really beginning to be serious about the relationship. And this person has not been, you know, a if you want to say dating, online dating, uh, this uh, individual very long. And so I would say go slow, be curious, ask good questions, go to the why behind the issues where you disagree and learn from one another and see where that takes you. Yeah, I think that is such great advice. And like you said, the underpinnings are so important. Rather, A lot of times we get clouded in the issue itself and we make it about the issue when really it's how are we getting there. And uh, I think it's so true. Maybe a little clue too, wouldn't you say, Jeremy, is how do you disagree about something? Because there are some people that immediately you don't share my opinion, clearly you're evil. And all of a sudden people are losing their minds and that is concerning in the way that a person responds to conflict in you, that sense. You bring up a really other good point. We have a phrase in the counseling realm that the issue is not the issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the issue it runs deeper. And of course, of course, how does this person handle conflict, the process of handling conflict more than just the content of the issue tells you a lot about the individual's um, character, and uh, that's certainly important in this kind of uh, 
vetting of a relationship, looking at the possibilities for its future. Yep, so good, but definitely healthy, as Jeremy said, to ask the good questions, be in conversation about it, and, you know, hold the appropriate things loosely, but also be concerned, be a person that is wise uh, in in vetting these things. Because again, when you are yoking yourself uh, to someone, it is for life. And so thanks so much, Jeremy. Yeah for weighing in on that. All right, folks, uh, that is it for this week's show. As always, we want to hear from you. So write to us at editor at boundless.org, possibly with a question for a future show, or maybe a question about one that we've answered in the past. And uh, we would love to respond to you. You can also find us on social media, primarily on Facebook and Instagram. So head on over there as well, and you can join the conversation. Well, folks, that's it for this week's show. I'm Lisa Anderson for The Boundless Show. The Boundless Show is a production at boundless.org. Focus on the family.